Support for WVIK comes from Kathleen Collins at the Dragonfly in Bettendorf. Using both conventional and alternative counseling methods for empowerment to help create change for individuals and couples. More information is at KathleenCollinsCounseling.com. Support for Talking Heart on WVIK comes from the people at Quad City Bank and Trust, helping the local community with their banking and financial needs for more than 20 years. Information is at QCBT.com. This is Carolyn Martin, and I'm talking art today with Jacob Banks, a composer and associate professor of music at Augustana College, about the upcoming performance of the opera Carquinos, which he wrote and which you can see performed this Saturday, February 12th, at the Bartlett Performing Arts Center in Moline. Welcome, Dr. Banks. Good morning, Carolyn. Thank you for having me. Now, there will be a lot to see and hear in this performance besides the vocal soloists and the chamber orchestra. There are dancers and a choir. So this is a big work. How are you feeling on the eve of its performance, your first opera? I am feeling uh, so blessed to have the opportunity to do this. You know, I've I've been composing since I was five years old. Um, I've always been drawn to theatrical music and um never really knew if I'd have the opportunity to write uh, an opera. It's something I've, I've always wanted to do. When I was a kid, I had a, a book of opera stories and I sort of read it obsessively. So to have the opportunity to have my own work performed um, at all, but in this case by such outstanding artists, the musicians in the orchestra, the singers, the dancers, uh, those doing the stage direction, it is just uh, I, I uh, am, feel so, so happy uh, that this is happening. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very complex act now. I, and I know you, you are a composer. You've written so much music. But did you also write the libretto for this? Yes, I did write the libretto. Um, the, the project was the libretto is based on um, conversations I had. I had over 30 conversations with cancer survivors with uh, those who love and have helped cancer survivors get through uh, their treatments, uh, with oncologists, with oncology nurses. And uh, so I took all of their collective stories and worked it together into a single plot and uh, wrote the text Mm -hmm. myself. And you did so for several reasons, I understand. This was um, created in collaboration with Living Proof Exhibit, which is a nonprofit helping connect cancer survivors with the arts uh, but then also, you know, the title of your opera is so nicely interwoven. Carquinos, translated from the Greek, means cancer. Correct. Yep. And um, the actual origin of that title, I remember it specifically. I was having coffee with Pamela Crouch, who at the time was executive director of Living Proof. And I was trying to conceive the story for the opera, and I knew it was going to take sort of an allegorical or symbolic direction. I wasn't going to have an opera that was set in a hospital with people sort of singing about their cancer diagnoses. I knew it had to be symbolic because I'd be able to tell more stories at once. But then I asked Pamela, I said, would it be possible to write this opera and never say the word cancer? And uh, I was hoping she sort of would say yes. And so that I could, you know, uh, move in my symbolic direction. And she, she said, very frankly, she said, I don't know how it could. I mean, how I don't know how it could not have the word cancer in it. 
And uh, so at that point, I started to take the word cancer and look into its origins and uh, discover that it, you know, it is named, of course, the Tropic of Cancer, the constellation Cancer, which is a crab. And um, cancer itself was named after that because of the sort of finger-like uh, uh, projections that you see, the formations you see uh, in cancer. So um, I, I decided that if the word cancer was going to appear in the opera, then um, we would make cancer in some ways the main character. Mm -hmm. You disguise it in a way, and it is it is a lovely metaphor. It sounds like the story, and you should tell us in more detail, but it involves an empress fighting against this this monster car who's called Carquinos because, you know, cancer certainly is viewed as a monster, but there's just so many like lovely little aspects of this, you know, the, um, the monster is unseen. It sounds like in the, yes. in the opera, is that correct? Yep. And, you know, and cancer, unless it presents or spreads to our cutaneous surface, our skin, it remains unseen. It's just felt. Um, Absolutely. And even in those instances where we can see cancer, in the case of you know melanoma or other cancers that we can see, so much about cancer is unseen because it has to do uh, with our souls, with our inner life. Um, and so uh, it isn't just a matter of uh, the, the clinical presentation of cancer, but everything that cancer means, um, the fear and anxiety, the stories of, of people you know, um, your conceptions, in some cases, misconceptions about what it means to have cancer. Uh, so much of it is uh, in the mind as much in the body. And so the, the unseen monster is, works out. Of course, you know, the, the, we have to represent this somehow. So the audience will see um, these dancers, which are in a way portraying the monster. Um, but the empress herself does not see him. She she has to fight him uh, without without looking at him face to face. So have you ever written a literary work before? Because, you know, an opera is primary, primarily music, but there's a literary aspect to it, too. Have you ever written a, a play or a short story? Uh, not since childhood. Uh, as a kid, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Rushmore, um, where the uh, you had the kid who sort of made these elaborate plays, you know, very dramatic uh, plays for his middle school. That was basically me. So I did write a musical when I was in middle school, um, but never, never a, as an adult, never a play or a novel, um, r rarely even poetry. So I, I, in one sense, it was daunting because some of the sort of I, I greatly admire certain opera librettists, um, certainly. Uh, w. H. Auden and his his work with Stravinsky uh, in the Rake's Progress. Uh, so there are truly some giants who have produced opera libretti. At the same time, there are many many outstanding operas that have librettos that are by themselves not particularly excellent. You know, sometimes as composers we talk about how difficult it is to set Shakespeare uh, to music because it's so perfect in itself that, uh, you know, what does music have to add to Shakespeare? Some composers have been very successful in setting Shakespeare to music, but uh, others have really fallen flat. So I, I took comfort in the fact that despite I, my lack of a literary background, um, that at least the, the music would therefore uh, be able to improve on the text. Mm -hmm. Well, I love the fact that before you sat down to write the story, you actually conducted interviews with many people from different backgrounds who lives, whose lives had been touched by 
cancer. So what was that experience like for you? And what did you, what were some of the things you took away from those conversations? Um, my conversations with cancer survivors, with oncologists and oncology nurses and family members of those who've suffered cancer from cancer, uh, those conversations, I, I had them back in the winter of 2019, but I can remember almost all of them like they were yesterday. Uh, every person I talked to was uh, a hero to me. Uh, and I don't want to use the word too, too loosely, but truly. Um, the And in fact, it's interesting because on the surface, you know, they're just ordinary people, people with jobs and families. They, they live in, you know, subdivisions and, um, you know, people you would see at Kohl's or just, you know, walking around in a hospital. And yet once, once the story started, um, I was always blown away by the uh, incredible experiences that they were describing. Um, in some ways, you know, it was, it, it, it was quite easy to set that into the dramatic uh, mode of opera because these are these were uh, truly epic experiences, um, life and death existential experiences. And the, the people, particularly the cancer survivors, spoke so uh, eloquently but simply about their experiences, how they grew through their experiences, how grateful they were to those who helped them through. Um, so I, I remember the, the conversations very much and at, through the process of writing the work and also in working with other artists to bring them to life, I'm constantly calling to mind those uh, golden opportunities I had. It, it was very cold. It was a very slushy, chilly winter uh, in February 2019, but was a, a, a beautiful season for me to be able to share uh the, to be able to just hear the stories and also share the artistic process with these amazing mm -hmm. people. And those things do take time then. I'm sure you needed that time to sit and reflect on that. And and you said 2019 because this was written, but the production has been postponed a bit because of the pandemic. And, you know, I was wondering, it'll be, it'll be really a, an experience also for the vocalists there. There are three performing this work. Mm -hmm. Um, Three, yes, three principles and then yeah, a chorus. Yeah, so what can you tell us about, about them? Um, well, I feel so lucky to have the chance to work with each of them. Um, Kelly Hill, who's the mezzo-soprano portraying my character of the maid, uh, she I have known for a while. She is uh, my colleague here at Augustana. She teaches voice for us. And um, I, I have heard Kelly sing before, always admired her voice and just her general artistic sense. Um, she is a DMA candidate at University of Iowa, so we feel very lucky to have her be able to come here and, and teach our students. Uh, but, you know, Kelly, Kelly is uh, just a very thoughtful artist. She has a beautiful voice. Um, with mezzo-sopranos, it's always nice to hear what, what the lower end of the range sounds like. Um, because they they often have uh, incredible music to make uh, in the mid range of, of voices, and that is true with Kelly. She has a voice that is golden in in all registers. So, uh, and Kelly's mother also uh, is a cancer survivor and actually participated in one of my Living Proof conversations. 
So it's uh, very special to have uh, the, the tie-in through, through that way. Um, Nathaniel Sullivan, our baritone, portraying the part of the angel. Uh, Nathaniel is amazing in his multifaceted career. He, I believe, grew up in Bettendorf or at least has uh, connections to the Quad City, spent some time here, and uh, but is now is in New York City. And uh, his career is, he's just a very enterprising uh, an intelligent artist. He cares very much for society and and uh, the social impact of music. So, and he also just sings uh, quite quite powerfully. Uh, has a really uh, beautiful voice. And Nathaniel was great to collaborate with because he's a very forthcoming artist. He he uh, was you know when I asked him to describe his voice, he was able to tell me uh, in great detail. Uh, uh, places where he could really shine and, you know, places to avoid. And uh, as, as a composer, I love to get that kind of information. I feel like that allows me to create something for an artist that uh, truly suited him. And in, in, in Nathaniel's case, I think the part, the part uh, suits him well. So I give him credit for that because he was able to, to point me in the right direction. And then, of course, the the star of the show, Sarah Schaefer, who I have not met in person. She's based out of Philadelphia, but she is well known to us uh, through performances with the Quad City Symphony. She's been a, a guest of the symphonies before, and uh, she just has an absolutely gorgeous voice, uh, is a very, very friendly and, and uh, giving person. And um, I'm looking forward to having the chance to work closely with her as well. Well, I'm so looking forward as well to hearing it. And then you also had to write for the chorus. So so that itself must have been a just huge job. And can you tell us about the chorus? Yeah, the chorus is uh, has an interesting part to play in this. Uh, in the outer scenes of the opera, the chorus is sort of your typical opera chorus. They, they are... Uh, the, the the crowd there's a typical crowd scene you know the the empress's subjects as it were but the chorus is in the in the central part of the opera actually portrays carquinos uh you know cancer is is defined by its multi-celled mm-hmm. properties i mean that's that's what makes it cancer right it's multiplication um and so i thought it, rather than casting someone in sort of this villain role uh, and, and finding a, a bass baritone who could who could play Carquinos, that it'd be far more terrifying, but also far more true to life if uh, if a chorus were to portray mm-hmm. Carquinos. So those who come to the performance will hear a certain kind of choral singing, uh, gorgeous, beautiful, full, rich, you know, uh, uh, choral singing when they're playing the crowd. But the, uh, I called for really different and in some cases... Um, unusual vocal techniques from the chorus when they're portraying the monster. Oh, it makes me think of almost like, you know, how frightening a mob can be. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Especially. And, and, you know, again, there's, there's two, there's the two sides to cancer, of course, the, the actual physiological side, but also the side in, in our, as I said, in our souls or in our minds. And um, the, in that sense, a mob is, is exactly right. They mock her, they, um, they belittle her, they intimidate her, uh, and so she has to learn how how to battle uh, how to battle on so many fronts. Operatic performances are you know beloved by many people, but there's 
also a larger number of people who simply wouldn't think of attending a performance. And I, you know, I'm guessing it's just not familiar to them. And I've, I'm wondering, do you have any ideas about how we might make opera more accessible? Because it's so beautiful. It's so gorgeous. Well, I think in, I'll speak in general terms and then about this particular performance in general, I have to commend, um, the, I mean, over the last 20, 25 years, opera companies have taken a single really important step uh, to making opera more accessible, and that is uh, projected super titles. So we all know what it's like to watch a foreign film uh, with, with close captioning. And um, most opera companies now provide the similar thing with the, the words that are being sung being projected over the stage. And this is true when opera is performed in a foreign language, but also when performed in English, because it can sometimes be difficult to understand a text we're hearing sung for the first time, even when it's in English. So uh, this production will be no different. There will be super titles projected over the stage. So no one needs to feel intimidated, even though the piece is mostly in English. um, You will be able to understand uh, both from hearing the singers and from following along with the super titles. But when it comes to any first uh, first timers for opera in the Quad Cities, um, I, the thing I like to explain, you know, almost everyone has attended a musical. And so I, I like to say that operas in, in general, I mean, there are many different genres of opera, so it's hard to speak generally. But in particular, uh, if you're used to going to a musical, the experience is very much the same. The one sort of important difference is that uh, in a musical, the emotional level is generally set on the song level, right? So uh, a lot of a lot of the story is told through spoken dialogue. This isn't always true, but often it's spoken. It's done through spoken dialogue. But the songs are very important in musical theater. Um, in opera, at least in my opera, um, songs do play an important part. So you will hear songs like anyone would hear in musical theater, but my, I actually try to express the emotion of the characters on a much more uh, zoomed in level so that it isn't just like a song that says a uh, character's emotion, but the musical setting of each individual line. So it's going to seem a little strange for people to hear someone singing a dialogue back and forth in English, but know that that music there is not there for no reason. The music is there to guide and express the emotions of the characters uh, in a way that maybe the words couldn't do on their own. So re- being able to read the words, that would definitely help. And then also um, I'm guessing just using modern day language makes it more relatable. I would think so. This was a challenge because sort of my my uh, drama is set in sort of a uh, imaginary kingdom. It could be anywhere, anytime, but it's certainly not uh, any in any civilization we already know of. Um, but it, it was really important to me to use very straightforward and direct language Um partly because I'm not a poet. And so while I greatly admire poets who are able to sort of craft words in uh, very evocative ways, uh, I'm a composer. And so I, what I needed were words that I could craft in evocative ways with the music. So yeah, I think people coming will, will I hope, find the, the, the language to be um, not, not contemporary in the sense that things you would hear on the street today, um, but at least direct in a way that that's you know, deliberately straightforward and not confusing. Well, I'd like to talk about yourself for just a a little bit. 
community members may know you through your work at Augustana, where you're an associate professor of music, or because you've composed works that have been premiered by the Quad City Symphony Orchestra Mm -hmm. in the past. And you've also been a frequent guest commentator right here on WVIK. Yeah, but your educational background is quite impressive. You have a master's degree from the Eastman School of Music in music composition, and then a PhD from the University of Chicago, also in music composition. And you had mentioned earlier in our conversation that you were quite young when you became, you know, involved in music. But when did you first begin to realize that you wanted to pursue music as a career? Well, I don't think I ever seriously considered any other field. So I knew, I I just knew from a very early age that I was born a musician and just sort of had to be one. Um, but I, there was a distinct moment, and it's interesting because it's it's connected to opera. That I, the first time I saw sort of what a what a path for a composer might look like, I did my undergraduate. I grew up in uh, southern Minnesota and South Dakota, so um, I had uh, some exposure to music and some outstanding teachers. But uh, when I went away to college, I went to Wheaton College, which is in the west suburbs of Chicago. Uh, and there's a commuter line that runs right through campus. And I could hop on that commuter line and head downtown to Lyric Opera of Chicago, uh, which was sort of my first experience with um, with full-blown professional uh, operatic productions. And, the, you know, the, so f- freshman year, fall term, uh, the first opera I see is Tchaikovsky's Queen of Spades. And I kind of can't believe how amazing it is. Um, love the orchestra, loved the, the, the scenic lighting design, um, was really bowled over by it. And I had to come back really, you know, right away. So the next opera I was able to hear was actually, uh, by the great Gatsby, which is, uh, obviously based on F. Scott Fitzgerald's novel, but composed by, uh, um, John Harbison, uh, who is a living composer and it was the first time that I had in my experiences come across the work of a living composer living in the environment that I was so used to hearing Tchaikovsky and Beethoven and Mozart. And um, seeing The Great Gatsby was a really inspiring moment. And, and uh, you know, with, without too much reflection, you know, so it's one of those things, if you think too much about it, you'll talk yourself out of it. But um, I sort of knew from that point onward that uh, I would... Uh, be very happy if I had an opportunity to write uh, something on that mm-hmm. magnitude. You know, you're right. When we're younger, if you play an instrument and so many people start with the piano, you do play, uh, you know, you play works by artists who lived centuries ago. And uh, there is something very monumental about hearing something that's that's new, that was recently mm-hmm. crafted and composed. Mm-hmm. So so what instruments do you play and 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 when did you like move away from the performance and more into production? Yeah, so I I grew up uh, playing the piano and the violin uh, and when I started in college I switched to the viola from the violin. Uh, I also play the organ. Um, so I I think it was clear to me, even from my high school years, that I was not destined for a performer's career. Um, and that's because I happened to study with a, a wonderful violinist. Um, actually, he, he he died of prostate cancer in 2018. His name is Ray Sidoti, and the opera is dedicated to his memory. Uh, but I was his violin student, and 
it became clear to me that I was not destined to be a performer because he he has made he has made many a, a excellent performer, um, but they all had something I lacked, which is just simply uh, the will to sit and practice. I've never been a practicer. Um, I can spend huge stretches of time composing, huge stretches of time producing the printed score. Um, but I just have never been one to practice. So it was always, it, it was never really an alternative to me I, to perform. I wasn't expecting that answer. It's pretty funny that you just practice. <laughs> it's easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's an easy answer, which is, it just wasn't, it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I never took to it. And, and professional musicians will tell you that it's, you just need that. There's no alternative. Uh -huh. Well, lastly, I just want to briefly mention that, you know, it's been an exciting few months for you recently. You had your concerto for clarinet and orchestra, I noticed, had its world premiere recently in Philadelphia. And by recent, that was just in mm -hmm. November of 2021. So yeah. congratulations also on that. Uh, how did that project come about and how would you describe it? So that project, uh, like everything, every worthwhile project usually has a kind of a, a some uh, chance, ch there's always some chance involved and always a personal relationship involved. So there's an ensemble uh, that most of your listeners will know of the United States Marine Band, um, who I've had the privilege of collaborating with multiple times. Um, I was actually a semifinalist for a job with them as an arranger before I finished my doctorate. Um, did, didn't get the job, but hit it off with the, the people who run the band. And so um, we, we've always looked for ways to collaborate. Well, the second time I collaborated with them, um, I happened to be placed on a concert with the uh, clarinetist Ricardo Morales, who is, it, for my money, one of the uh, finest clarinetists in the world. And I was so happy to meet him. My wife is a clarinetist, and so I knew of him very well. I'd heard him play at the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra before. Um, he's now is a principal clarinet with the Philadelphia Orchestra. And getting to know Ricardo is, was such a joy and such a privilege uh, because we were featured on this same concert. So a few months later, I, um, I was driving down John Deere Road. Uh, I remember it well with my family. And um, I was trying to make plans for projects I could do for an upcoming sabbatical. And, and my wife says, you know, you should just just call Ricardo and see if he wants to do a project with you. And I said, Hey, yeah, why not? You know, the worst he can say is no. And before I knew it, I had a commission to write a clarinet concerto for him in the Philadelphia orchestra. What makes it uh, even more exciting is that it is a co-commission co-commissioned with the U S Marine band chamber orchestra, who just performed it uh, just several weeks ago. I was able to be in DC for that. And Happily, the Quad City Symphony also jumped in on the co-commission. So Ricardo will come here uh, in a future season to perform that work uh, with the QCSO, who who also contributed to the commission. So I'm I, I was the entire experience was amazing from front to finish. You know, they are a, not only a world class orchestra, and he is a world class soloist, but they, it, the orchestra is full of really kind and generous people. Uh, who 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 really made my music their own. Uh -huh. So it was a great experience. Well, that's so nice to hear. I didn't know that background, but I certainly read some very nice reviews from the Philadelphia Inquirer and I, I think the Wall Street Journal as well. So mm -hmm. that's yeah. right. Well, yeah. Jacob Banks, thank you so much for talking today and congratulations on your first operatic work. Thank you, Carolyn. Uh, I, thank you for the opportunity. 
Don't miss the upcoming performance of the opera Carquinos, produced in collaboration with Living Proof Exhibit and composed by Dr. Jacob Banks, this Saturday, February 12th, at the Bartlett Performing Arts Center in Moline. The performance begins at 7.30 p.m. with a pre-concert conversation one hour beforehand at 6.30. Livestream and digital access is also available, and tickets can be purchased through the Quad City Symphony's website, qcso.org. This has been Carolyn Martin, Talking Art in the Quad Cities for WVIK.